1: is actually reduplicated by placebo. So what that means is that 12% of people are getting a benefit that they couldn't otherwise get from placebo and all 88% are getting only risk.
0: Welcome to Betty Bites, a decidedly delicious, short and sweet mind snack for your brain to chew on. I've gone back into the Betty library and pulled out my favorite Betty sound bites, a recipe. You might say it's bits of wisdom, sprinkles of knowledge and a dash of dry humor for you to do and be better. I am a huge fan of the Bio Optimizers Magnesium Breakthrough. It has seven forms of magnesium, which is going to help to transform your stress and your performance and your recovery and your sleep to the next building, recovering health, the list goes on and on. You're basically getting them all in one supplement. Each supplement itself is 500 milligrams of magnesium, which I feel is such your cart. Don't be fooled by the frigid temperatures, keeping hydrated in the wintertime is super important. Free. If you head over to drinkelement.com forward slash Dr. Estima, you'll see that exclusive offer at the bottom of the page. That's D R I N K L M N T dot com forward slash D R E S T I M A. And tell me which of the chocolate melody you love the best. And I thought it might be a good place to start with the hypothesis around depression, the monoamine hypothesis, around this chemical or this, it's really a theory around Mm -hmm. the chemical imbalances in the brain. Can you explain what that is and how it is so pervasive and how we think about mental illness?
1: Yeah. So the, the sordid history of psychiatry's clamoring to be accepted and acknowledged as a valid medical discipline is Probably more elaborate um, than we can get into now, but suffice it to say that, you know, in around the 1950s, there were a number of factors that uh, sort of came together to give birth to this theory. One of them was observations around the way that patients behaved after they were treated for tuberculosis with medications that impacted, at least theoretically, what's called the monoamine Um, pathway in the brain. And there was an observation that there was like transient euphoria in these individuals. And that plus a theoretical paper by a gentleman named Sheldkraut, um, plus minus some potential um, CIA co-optive research on psychedelics, uh, gave birth to this opportunity for the pharmaceutical industry to leverage a really poorly baked Uh, biological concept and physiological mechanism around uh, what might be driving different states of behavior mood and cognition but in this case specifically depression and you know uh, what follows is the multi-billion dollar industry of uh, antidepressant drugs and what happens is that in many cases Uh, pharmaceutical science reverse engineers a theory, right? So it would be like, as my colleague, David Healy says, when he uses the metaphor around alcohol as, um, you know, another representation of a consciousness altering substance, right? So if we were to do a trial, of you know, two shots of vodka for social anxiety, and, and we would have the participants take either that or water. Uh, you know, you could imagine that in an eight-week trial, there would be an effect, so that the participants might come out of that trial and say, you know, it really helped. I actually felt way calmer, mm-hmm. and I didn't struggle with the social anxiety that cripples me every single day. Uh, but of course, we know logically that it would it would be an error to deduce from that that those individuals have some sort of an alcohol imbalance or some sort of an ethanol deficiency, right? And we certainly know that if they were to repeatedly expose themselves to that kind of an intervention, that biochemically they'd be in a bit of a tough place if they wanted to discontinue said intervention a couple of decades later, right? So there have been many renegade uh, psychiatrists before me, uh, like Peter Bregan and Joanna Moncrief, who have been shouting from the rooftops uh, about the fact that we can not call these medications um, by their mechanism, right? So the suggestion that this is an antidepressant in any way uh, that it is resolving a baseline known state of imbalance is a fallacy. We can alternatively make the argument that there is a drug based effect
0: I am incredibly bullish on sauna as a therapy for recovery, heart health it's crucial for hormonal balance and achieving a state of well-being necessary for a strong physique and a strong mind. If you visit sunlighten.com slash better and use code better to get a discount, that is sunlighten, dot com slash B-E-T-T-E-R and use code better at checkout.
1: Okay. So not unlike alcohol,
0: right? Yes.
1: There's a drug-based effect. Now, that effect may be very adaptive for you, right? So if you start Paxil and it's sedative and you've been wired for, you know, six months, that may be exactly what you need. Or you have some of the stimulating effects of uh, something like, you know, effects or Prozac, that may be a perfect fit for you. Um, what they have in common, seemingly, is a certain kind of um, blunting, right? Effective blunting, a kind of emotional blunting. And for many, to your original question, who do not have, I would argue this is all of us, but the experience to know how to sit with certain emotional states and to work with certain kinds of uh, symptoms that are emerging, that could be highly preferable, right? So, so no one is suggesting that there isn't an effect. What many before me and and, you know, what I've, kind of collected data to support is that this effect is not resolving a problem. It's creating a new normal. Yes. And if you happen to like that, that would be great. If there weren't public health, in my opinion, public health consequences to the freedom to choose this medical intervention. Uh, while I am a huge believer in informed consent and I, and I, I would like to empower all people to make the best choice for them. And if you know you know, the literature that suggests that the the effect of antidepressants when you control for the side effects, right, and all of the beliefs that are enacted because of our direct-to-consumer advertising culture where we've been literally brainwashed to understand our own biology through big corporations who stand to profit from that understanding, right, So so when we engage a medication we imagine might help us and we start to have side effects, something happens that's called the active placebo effect. This has been exquisitely researched by Irving Kirsch, who is arguably the placebo effect expert, and what he has suggested through very rigorous statistical analysis, including the invocation of unpublished literature conveniently tucked in the file drawer, right, that he accessed through the FOIA uh, process, uh, he found that 88% of what we are calling the effectiveness of medication is actually reduplicated by placebo. So what that means is that 12% of people are getting a benefit that they couldn't otherwise get from placebo, and all 88% are getting only risk. So this is something to consider because we might say, okay, so what are the risks? What's the big deal? Who cares whether it's placebo or not? If it helps, it helps, right? Uh, it's a pragmatist perspective, but... The risks that I have come upon, the two, you know, this is not the laundry list of like, you know, interference with libido and menstrual cycles and GI bleeding and hair loss and rashes and all of that. The the two that I want to shine a spotlight on because I know too many people who wish that they knew about these before they, you know, waltz their first prescription to CVS. One is the um, propensity for these medications to seemingly randomly, although it's just that we don't know how yet to properly risk stratify yet, um, induce states of impulsive violence, right? So whether this is a school shooting or whether it's a pilot taking down an airplane or whether it's hanging yourself from the rafters in your garage when you've never felt a moment of suicidality before you started taking that medication. The trouble is that you just don't know if you are going to be one of those people. And I have many citizen activists who have contacted me over the years, including um, David Carmichael, who uh, had the experience of murdering his own 11-year-old son on a routine dose of Paxil for work-related stress. And he's not alone. This is not random. It's not rare even. So that Russian roulette is a pretty big one, right? Because in the state of intoxication, essentially, you actually can appear completely calm and normal to those around you, and meanwhile, you know, you're in this um, agitated, uh, impulsive state of akathisia often, what's called, is a neurological term for the kind of state that, that can be induced. We think it has to do with the way certain people metabolize these medications that can lead to this intoxication state, yes. but trust me, your your primary care doctor is not screening you um, for those liver-based polymorphisms, right? So, so that's one, and the other is the potential for um, these medications to, I would say it's more than a potential; it's, it's a likelihood uh, for these medications to induce a state of chemical dependency.
0: Mm-hmm. This is
1: not to speak to the psycho-spiritual dependency, uh, you know, that emerges from an experience of understanding yourself as fundamentally sick and broken, and understanding your emotional states as wrong. Right. That is a whole nother topic. This is literally just biochemical right? And these medications, I've made the statement many times, I still stand by it. For 10 years, I have had a practice devoted to taking women off of these medications. And I believe that they are the most habit forming chemicals on the planet that make cigarettes and OxyContin and crack cocaine and alcohol look like a walk in the park to detox from, right? So I have never heard of a chemical that requires sometimes a thousandth of a milligram decrement per month in order to medically, stably withdraw from. And there are literally hundreds of thousands of people on the internet right now telling their tales. And if that is a risk worth taking, at least you should know about the possibility because the many, many, many patients that I started on medication in my tenure as a conventional uh, prescribing psychiatrist, I never told a single one of them about
0: this because I didn't know. All right, Bettys, if you found that that little snippet wet your appetite and you are looking for more, you can go to our show notes for this episode. And in the show notes, we will have a link for you to click on and it will bring you to the full, robust, juicy conversation.